More than half of high-growth companies struggle with the sales development process. If you want your sales team to have more at-bats with decision-makers at target accounts, talk to Inside Sales Team, the sales development team experts at InsideSalesTeam.com. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. Honored and blessed for you to join us today. I am uh, joined by an excellent, excellent guest who I really want you to you know, be introduced to and understand his work and learn as much as you can from this guy. Jason Diamato, the Director of Training at EF. Jason, how are you doing today? David, I am great. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm super excited to get you on the show. Like we were talking about before, a lot of the folks that listen are running sales development teams. They are sales development reps themselves, and they're just trying to get better every day, a little bit, you know, 1% better every day. So I thought you would be a perfect person to talk about what you've been working on and to come on the show and just impart your wisdom. Yeah, man, I am happy to be here. I love those people. I understand that grind. I understand wanting to be a little bit better every day. And uh, so I'm here to help. I can't wait. Let's do it. Nice, dude. Okay. So if they're not familiar with you and um, your your work, uh, tell us first about you know how you got into sales and your kind of background and history there. And then tell us about the book and you know what kind of drove you to, to put your thoughts on paper. Sure. Well, I actually ended up in sales completely by accident. I, when I went to college, I went to study psychology and my goal was to, you know, be a family therapist, be a psychologist, uh, some sort of social worker. And what really derailed it was learning how to play guitar. And so when I, when I learned how to play guitar, all I cared about was being in a band. So when I graduated school, it was music and music. And so I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going back to grad school. So I ended up getting into sales. However, it was, like I said, it was kind of by accident. So I worked this job in Cambridge, Massachusetts as an orthopedic technician, uh, which was doing like casts and splints for people with broken bones and, and uh, assisting in the, um, the orthopedic doctors in the department. And there was a sales rep who used to come in and he'd come in and he would be selling uh, braces, any sort of orthopedic supply. He had also developed his own custom orthotic company. And over time, he and I developed a, a relationship. And I was young at the time, 22, 23. And, but he had been in sales his whole life. And so he saw something in me and said, hey, how would you like to work for me on your day off? And I was, you know, looking for more money to, to party and play with my band. So I said, sure, <laughs> you know, wasn't career, you know, ambitious or focused at all back then. It was just all about music. Right. So I said, sure. So he said, I want you to go around to these orthopedic uh, doctor's offices, podiatrists, physical therapists, and I want you to explain to them, you know, what we have. And if you pique their interest at all, just give me their name, you know, and I'll take it from there. So he had almost sort of, you know, uh. you know, he, he, he made me his little BDR, his little business development rep, you know, never told me I was in sales, never, ever, we never spoke that word. And what happened was we, we, you know, it worked. And I found that I maybe had a good instinct for reading the room and, and understanding when the right time to, to talk was. So just based solely off of instinct and really relationship building skills and people skills, 
I had really helped him out. And him and I ended up working together in, in various ways over the next in 10 years, even 15 years, uh, back and forth, time and time again, we'd circle back. Fast forward a few years later, I had a good friend move home from California where he was running a, a big sales operation. And I had a, another just regular nine to five job and but had had all the sales experience and him and I had good chemistry. And so we decided, I, I decided to quit my job and start a sales company with him. And so what we did was we started a, a call center, basically. We were an outsourced customer acquisition firm. That was like the, that was us trying to make ourselves, you know, seem really cool. Right. You know, <laughs> we, we were a call center for hire. You know, I can proudly say that now. And over the next two years, he and I had uh, a couple of clients, but what we found was that, you know, with lots of just raw sales enthusiasm and skills, and, and, and this is where I started really geeking out about sales and the psychology of it and, and really becoming just a sponge and soaking things up and geeking out. But we, you know, we, we opened the doors with nothing, no seed money. We did a million dollars in, in revenue in like 14 months. And it was crazy, man, because it was like the type of place where we didn't have computers. You had to have a laptop to get hired. You were 1099 full commission. It was a it was the most beautiful and horrifying experience of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and there were days where I was laying on the floor crying, you know, like having panic attacks. And there were other days where I was hugging my employees, crying out of pure, like just an uh, overabundance of, of joy and love and 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 character that we would see from our people because they cared so much about us and our company. And the day we shut our door, somebody actually came up to me and said, I have, um, I have this rich uncle and I can get money to float payroll. <laughs> and we're like, no, no, you know, like, thank you. But no, you know, we, it was just insane. But that's like the love that we had. So, you know, that lesson to me was, or those years to me taught me the lessons of sort of what it is to be an entrepreneur, what it is to, to grow a sales team with very little, you know, how to do it with energy, how to do it with good sales uh, training, how to do it with great attitudes. And we we're, were focused on a few primary things and we didn't have CRM systems or anything, you know. So after that, I went on and was director of sales at a, a finance company and, and helped, helped them turn around in a couple of years from, you know, historical worst to historical best. And that was kind of a, a, new, a new experience. And then I found EF in 2010, and and really I think this has been just the most amazing experience from uh, the standpoint of like the people I work with. But sales has always been a passion of mine, and even before I knew it, and it was about um, right when I started at EF that I had the idea to write the book. And the reason you so you had asked what was the what was the reason I, I wrote it? And it really yeah. came out of, it came out of frustration. <laughs> so I was mad. I was like, why? I was reading a ton of business books, as I'm sure you do. And I was getting frustrated that I had to s spend all this time and then walk away with only a couple of nuggets, you know? Now, mm. I loved those nuggets of wisdom, but I was mad that I had to spend, you know, seven to 10 hours and get so emotionally attached to it and, 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 and just give all my energy to it. So I said to myself, I said, I think there needs to be a book that 
has all of the things that I've ever learned, all the things that people have taught me that have made me great at sales, I need to put those in an easy to read guide. And I want it to be like, you open it up and you can just read a rule and then you're like, oh, wow, that was amazing. And then you feel inspired, but you also are reminded of the crucial things that we need to do every day in sales because it's just so much. You know, you mentioned cold calling or BDR reps. And I mean, just think of all the things they need to do. And then when they actually get somebody on the phone, all the things you need to do there. And then even as you grow up through, you know, a top salesperson, you know, it never ends. It's not like, you can be perfect at this. So that's mm. where it came. That's where the, the, the sort of emotion came from. And I reached out to my old business partner who was in a, in a kind of a funk in his career. And I said to him, you know, hey, dude, like, I think you need this right now. And I need you right now because I don't want to do this alone. And he was like, I'm in. And I pitched him the idea and he loved it. And so, you know, him and I had gone, you know, bankrupt together and now we're bestsellers together. So it was, uh, you know, it's been quite a ride and, and I'm glad that he was in. And then we just started writing it and, and you know, that was a whole experience too. Yeah, I, that, I'm curious about that too. Dude, I've got so many good notes here. I, I want to ask you about all this stuff. That was great. I mean, uh, you know, I think the thing number one is anybody listening you know, you got a lot of value out of that BDR-like experience right at the beginning of your career. You didn't even know that you were a BDR at that time. You were going around and, yeah. uh, and honing your skills. You also had mentorship. You know, um, that's one note that I took. You know, you had that person who you, you know, got involved with and then you ended up, you know, knowing for like 15 years, maybe even to today and just, you know, working with that mentorship relationship. So that's that's huge. But before I before I ask you about that, it's I want to know about that partnership process that you went through. So you had this idea. Now you've had some great experience. You have this idea. You're getting frustrated with all these business books that you're reading that's taking too long. And you got this idea. And then you approach your partner and go, hey, I, I want to partner up with you. Tell us more about the, from that conversation where he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it to producing the actual book. Yeah, it was hard because we both had full-time jobs and families. So, you know, where, where, where do you start writing a book? And I mean, the only answer is you have to do it at night. <laughs> you know, I became obsessed with the fact that I would not let time be an excuse for me. So, you know, after I would put my kids to bed and, uh, and the wife would go to bed, I would, I would write and I would try to write for an hour to three hours every day when life got super hectic and I felt the crunch. I got dragon naturally speaking on my laptop and on my commute to work, I would dictate and write on the way to work. You know, I just was like, because it's hard, it's hard to keep that focus. And there's just writing a book isn't easy. Um, there's so many steps involved. And so even after just you have the content, you have to just, you have to be disciplined. So that was the process. And then Randy and I would get together and we would, we split up, you know, I said, Hey, you just write down as many rules as you know, I'll write down as many rules as I know. And we'll compare and contrast. We'll see how many we come up with. We came up with a 161 <laughs> and, and then we divided and conquered, you know, we just, I said, Hey, I want to write 
I want to write these. Like, I love these. And, and you know, there were ones we fought over because we both wanted to write it, you know. And so, and of course, in the end, uh, we get to sprinkle our own flair on every rule. But, you know, it was, it was fun. It was really, really fun to get down, at, you know, sit at the table across from each other and just, you know, once we had all the rules written to read through them and be like, wow, I can't believe we wrote that. That is terrible. We need to, you know, we need to rewrite that one right now. And you do that over and over and over again. But yeah, I, I hope that explains the partnership. I needed, I needed him because I just, I'm not a lone wolf. I feed off of other people's energy. And, you know, I just, I thought the idea was great. Once he thought it was great, I'm like, who cares if anybody else thinks it's great? Let's just do it. And if we help one salesperson, then success seriously like if we have one salesperson success now it's an amazon bestseller and it's helping salespeople all over the world so it's it's the ultimate success that's beautiful and and i you know i i ask kind of because we we need to create content now it, it, you know to to kind of get out into the marketplace get your name out there even if you're even if you're a BDR and you're going, you know, how do I create content? I don't, I, I'm, I'm still learning stuff, but there's two things. I think you, you had a lot of experience and that's, that's one thing. So you, you created, you, you could create content no, from your experience and you, you could like think of these rules and write them down and your partner was there to, to bounce ideas off of. So you had that experience, but then also what I'm hearing is you had discipline too, because with a wife and kids and mortgages and car payments and all this pressure, you still created an hour to three hours every night or as much as possible and remove that excuse, right? That's right. There was no, you know, I wasn't going to let it be an excuse because if whenever somebody says that I don't have enough time, what they really mean is that's not, a, that's not important enough to me to, to prioritize. And, you know, it, it's just, there are people in different cultures all over the world who, you know, some people like they practice violin for six hours, you know, until two in the morning. And, and that's because they prioritize it. Right. So, you know, it's hard, but you do need that discipline. You're absolutely right. And you have to want it. I mean, when you want something, it doesn't seem like work. And, you know, there are times when writing a book is very tedious, you know, depending on what your sweet spots are and what you love, because, again, it's more than just writing content. But it definitely requires a, a high amount of of discipline, discipline, focus, concentration, and then you you have to have something to write about, right? I mean, if you're just sitting yeah. there like, yeah, uh, it's blank, then you you need to come up with some other way of creating things because that's not working. There's nothing there. But but you had that, and your partner had that, so you were able to create something. And you know, what would you say to somebody who was like? man, I, I just don't have time. But you actually look at their calendar and they do have time for Game of Thrones and they do have time for like hanging out with their buddies and getting drinks and they do have time for going to Coachella and they do have, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like, um, I mean, you know, look back when you were 22, I mean, it was 100% music. Like you always had time yeah. for that. But I, I guess, you know, what do you say to somebody who's like, I want to write a book or I, I want to create content, but I just don't have time. Yeah, I mean... In those two years that I was hardcore writing the book, I didn't watch any TV. So I, I kind of felt a little disconnected because I couldn't get in any of those, you know, those social, 
gatherings where people are talking about Game of Thrones or the Red Sox. I'm, I'm from Boston or the, you know, I mean, it was literally like I had my head in the sand. I couldn't have any of those conversations and I was absolutely fine with it, you know? And, and so a little, it's a little sacrifice to make, you know, um, for me, you know, so I, I get right in people's faces bluntly and, and just, you know, challenge them and say, do you really not have the time or is it just not something you want bad, badly enough? So, you know, everybody's got a different life situation. Some people legitimately don't have the time. Uh, but you know, I was lucky enough that I could carve out enough and then have the discipline to do it. And, you know, it still took a long time, but we got it done. Yeah. And, and I, I think what you said is really important if you want it bad enough. And it's like that, why, why, why do you want it? If that's like strong enough, then, you know, one thing, like when I, when I work with companies, we, we look at the theory of constraints a lot that like, if you look at the whole process of how you're doing a sales development program, it's like, where are the choke points and where, Ooh. where are the choke points? And now that I, I'm talking to you, it's like, you could apply that to your life too. You know, yeah. uh, if you look like I, I, I used to come home every night and I have one beer, you know, I, I love that one beer, man. And a good IPA, like, Oh man, after a tough day. But mm. I noticed that I was like zonked out afterwards, like putting the kids to bed and da da da. Like I had yeah. nothing left, you know? So I would just like collapse. And I noticed that that was like the constraint, you know? So I stopped that beer. And now it's like, I can crank out a couple more hours, even after all those responsibilities. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're more present with your kids. You have more patient with your kids. You're, you're just more, uh, you know, alive, right. And you're more, you know, hydrated, <laughs> literally. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I know but it's I, tough. I, yeah, it is tough. Uh, and, and, and you mentioned mentorship and I, I want to point out because it's, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if I haven't hadn't had the amazing, amazing mentorship that I've had, you know, and that all starts with Randy, you know, he, he got me obsessed with sales in a way that, I, you know, I just didn't even know was possible. And, and, you know, he sort of created this monster because it was, it was him who showed me the ins and outs and that there was more to it than just, you know, picking up the phone and, and, and doing that 150 times a day, you know? So once I got obsessed with quality over quantity, I said, this is, the, this is the career for me because I, you know, psychology background, just by nature, I, I'm so curious about people. So there were all these, there were all these things that were a great natural fit that made me compatible with sales. And, and then all the other mentors that I've had, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to write that book without them. And, 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 and that was really the reason why I wanted to do it was it, you know, part of it was the frustration. So that was just the idea part. But the big thing was I've had, I've had the, the, the luck. I've got all this luck. I've met amazing people. And so why do I deserve that over other people? You know? And so I'm going to put everything those guys have taught me into a book and give it to the world because everybody deserves that opportunity to have great mentorship, to have great guidance, to have that inspiration, right? Like if I didn't have Randy there to pick me up on those bad days when we owned that company, I would never have made it. I just would not have made it. It was too stressful. So how many people out there cracked because they owned a startup company and they didn't have a partner that loved, cared about them and had the right thing to say at the right time, right? 
And that is what I want that book to be. So the book is more than just 161 rules. It's there are stories in there about love, about life, about, I mean, cancer, about overcoming cancer, you know, I mean, things that mean a lot to me that I put in there that some people might say, why did you put a story about surviving cancer in a sales book? Because it's so relatable, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's so relatable. And the, the sooner you learn those lessons about gratitude and happiness being a choice and hard work and dedication, the sooner you have the foundation to build an amazing sales career. It's, it's so relatable, but people don't realize that. Yeah, man. It's really interesting because I, I feel like as I'm talking to you that people kind of put business into its own little compartment or its own little box. And, you know, you could throw put sales in there, too. It's like it's it's its own compartmentalized thing. But actually, when you think about it, I mean, business is life and people and issues and, you know, like all these other things. It's not just numbers and like what the process and like all the, all the, all that other stuff, there's all this emotion involved and in, in people and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I agree. And I think that the key to a good life is communication, you know, and because, you know, if you want, if you seek love and, and that's what people seek, right? People seek love and acceptance and they want to feel important and they want connection. We're human beings and we thrive off of that stuff. So, you know, every good relationship has good communication. And that's the same thing in sales. I mean, that's what sales is. It's just being an amazing communicator. Well, being a good husband or a good brother or a good friend or a good father, mother, you have to communicate well. And so, hmm. you know, that's the, that's, that's, sure. the, that's the red thread that I like to always talk about is, you know, when you come in and you learn social styles from me or whatever it may be, this, I have so many people that come back to me and say, you know, Jay, that social styles training was amazing, but I just want you to know that it has helped me out. And somebody actually said this to me yesterday. It has helped me out, not just on the phone, but at, with my boyfriend, you know, and I'm like, That's, right. how could it, you know, how can I go wrong? I, I am just the luckiest guy in the world. I like, I get to talk about business and, and life all at the same time and help people what feels like helping people, even if it's just in a little way in both life and in business. Inside Sales Team fully integrates with clients. CEO of Discover Org, Henry Shutt, partnered with us, and we've generated over $25 million in new business revenue. They are firing on every best practice for running a sales development team. Learn more at InsideSalesTeam.com. Yeah, I mean, and I think that sales gets a bad rap because it's still kind of that stereotype of the sleazy, you know, car salesman or whatever who's trying to push you into something that you don't want to do but really and i've talked about this before on the show like sales is communication that's all it is you're using it constantly and especially it's when you have a mentor or get some training or something like that you you, you start to realize hey there there's better ways to do this and if i implement the training and stuff that you're talking about i can actually improve my communication skills across my life right oh yeah and I'm so glad you mentioned that stigma, you know, yeah. and, 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 and it exists for a reason and it should be there, but a little story. So when Randy and I had a hundred those 161 rules, we had to decide which one was going to be number one. And, you know, the obvious choice for us, if you know us is attitude, right? So rule number two is attitude is everything. 
but I, I said, Hey, I, I think we need, we need to put be proud first because if there's anything that I want to do in my sale with my sales legacy life, whatever, I want people to realize that sales is such a beautiful profession and it's not about being slick. It's not about being fast talking. It's not about living in the gray or it's not about over promising and under delivering. It's about the opposite of all those things. It's about caring. It's about being great at investigating, understanding problems, providing good solutions and being a great communicator. So you you hit the nail on the head. Like, I always say to my guys, you have every reason on planet Earth to be proud. I mean, even just on paper, you're going to work so hard when you work in sales. You're going to work long hours. You're going to be you're going to be so exhausted at the end of a day where you have six hours of talk time and you've made 100 outbounds. You are going to have to use your brain and be creative and be witty. You're going to have to read people. So you have a, you need a high antenna. You're going to need to stay positive because you can't hit goals with a negative attitude. You're going to need all these things that they just keep piling up. So it's like you have no reason to be ashamed. And, you know, unfortunately, the way sales started in this in this country and the way it got perpetuated through, you know, the, the 80s, 70s and 80s with car salesmen. Yeah. But when somebody says use car salesmen, my heart almost instantly breaks because I feel bad for those people out there that are like love cars and love sales and they're ashamed to say what they do and they're like super honest amazing people just trying to connect people into the vehicle they want and it just you know i hate that so i have a super soft spot for the stigma and for trying to break that down and i couldn't agree with you more what we do actually enhances people's lives and if i've i've spoken universities in sales programs all over the country and seniors that take advanced sales classes, I'll ask them, raise your hand if you know you want to work in sales when you graduate. And out of 40 people, like four hands go up and super sheepish. Wow. Yes, I know. And I'm like, That's shocking. okay, isn't it crazy? And, 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 I, and then I'll say, okay, well, raise your hand if you, well, you know, you'll work in sales if it's the right job and it's something you believe in and you feel good and it's a good guy. And then, you know, Almost everybody's hands go up, right? But still, like, not, you know, very profoundly. And, you know, we have a problem, man. 50% of college graduates end up in sales jobs, right? But And we have 4,000 universities in this country. Oh. Yet only 200 of those 4,000 universities are teaching these kids how to sell. So if you want to be in a sales program, you want to take sales classes, you want to minor or major in sales, you have slim pickings. And it's not it's not cool, you know. We're we're teaching everybody general business. We're teaching everybody, you know, uh finance. We're teaching everybody marketing. We're te we're teaching people there's probably more public relations classes than there are sales classes. Think of how bananas that is. You know, it's, like it's in insane. A, in an organization like mine, we have thousands of employees, right? But just in my division, there's a couple hundred. There's probably one public relations person, maybe two. <laughs> to the 200 people that work in sales. And then there's probably another you know, 70 that work in customer service that are it's sales oriented. So you're talking like 300 to one, yet you can't find a sales class 
unless you're in those 200 universities. So it's just, it's not right. And I want to, I want to help fix it in any way I can. It's crazy. And nobody, you know, I, I talk about that, that sales foundation that, that certifies those programs. Nobody's heard of it. The sales education foundation. Yes. Yep. And, and, and here in the Bay area, I mean, we've got, there's like 10 universities, like in the greater Bay area around San Francisco and none of them offer that major. It's, yeah. You have to go all the way up to Chico or down to Dominguez Hills, I think, or Fullerton in, in Southern California to get there. Yeah. It's yeah. insane. It's, it's insane. Crazy. But yeah, yeah and, and, and uh, some friends of mine have that now they're starting to spring up. There's like three really high quality sales boot camps in you know San Francisco. They've been on the show before. They're they're doing great things where they're they're building very successful businesses on saying, hey, okay, you just spent, you know, 50, 60 grand on on getting a, a degree, but there's all these sales jobs that pay a hundred grand, you know, right out the door and we'll take you through this boot camp. And their yeah. business is booming because people yeah. are going, geez, I, I there's only one PR job at the whole company. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's insane. And and so. And, and yeah, it's, it's bad in the Northeast too, for sales universities and sales programs at universities. It seems like the South has the most, and then the Midwest is right there as well. And then, yeah. and then they're sprinkled everywhere else, but I'm just shocked know. that because we, you know, we've got, this is like, we've got Berkeley, we've got Stanford, we've got all these things and, and, and none of them have it. And it's just yeah. like, dude, there's, there's basically, there's two positions at I'm very passionate about this issue. I don't know if you noticed. There's <laughs> there's two positions at most of the startups here in the Bay. There's yeah. engineering and sales. Yeah, the engineers right. build the product and the salespeople sell it. So let me ask you, if you if you don't know how to spell HTML, right, what are you gonna do? <laughs> right. And so like you can go to Stanford and right. you know and you can you can learn a lot about engineering and they do that really, really well. Right. Yeah. But yet if you want to learn how to sell, sorry, no dice. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And and what they do is usually they come out, if they go to Stanford, they start a company and they go to Y Combinator and like all these things and they get a bunch of money and then it flames out in a couple of years because they don't know how to sell. They're going, and, well, gee, I built a product and uh, for some reason nobody bought it. So sorry, I just lost your million dollars that you gave me at Y Combinator. It's crazy. It is crazy. And, you, you gotta know, sell. you got to sell and, and you got to be proud, you know. And, and so rule number one in the pocket guide for sales survival is be proud. And it's, yeah, it's, it's for a very specific reason. And I always do say this too, um, you know, I say, look, I can't take the pride that I have inside of me and inject it into you. I've been in sales 20 years. I've, you know, uh, this, this profession has been so good to me. I am, I'm so thankful. I found it. I am in love with it. I love everything about it. I'm obsessed with it. So of course I'm going to be proud, but on paper, just on paper, just black and white, forget subjectivity and experience and any of that on still, if you just look at what you have to do on paper, and compare it to what other people do in their positions. You have to, you have to take yourself serious. You have to know that you are in a in a profession that requires a ton of skill and very rare, you know, to find excellent salespeople. It just is. That's just, you know. So the more we can grow those people, 
I think the better because we'll we'll break down these stigmas. And I know it will it'll shift. It's shifting. The global sales culture is. is shifting. It's just taking some time. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that there's four thousand universities and only two hundred sales programs, it, you know, that's 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 crazy. I mean, that's yeah. taking way too much time. And the thing yeah. is, like, sales has changed so much because in the old days, the salesperson had all the information, you know, and the the you know the the customer would walk up to them and have to get the information to, to know if they're making the right decision. But the thing is now they do, you know, they see those stats, like 70% of the research is online. Yeah. So the salesperson has to be more communicative and, and collaborative and adding value. It's, 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 it's a different profession now. Um, it is. So yeah, it, it is. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's more important now than ever because mm -hmm. competition is so freely accessible and people are still people. They're going to choose the, the person that they connect with and they feel safe with and they trust, you know, and and that that comes mostly from that person to person transfer of information and communication. Exactly. And, and, the, and you know, just being attentive and being human, you know, to solving the needs of the prospect or the customer that you're talking about. And I'll give you an example. So, uh, and to your point about being pride, you know, being proud of this, there was, there was not a conference that was 100% focused to the BDR, SDR world, right? And, and I thought that's crazy because we, we should be proud of what we're doing. We're knocking on doors and we're, we're starting, you know, sales conversations. And so I put a conference on the calendar. It's September 21st in San Francisco, 100% focused on sales development. And I've never put on a conference before. I don't know. I don't know anything about doing this. And, and what I found is as I talk to vendors and salespeople, there's a huge difference out there of, of, you know, a good one versus somebody who's just phoning it in and, and like doesn't have their head in the game. And the main thing is it's helping the customer to achieve their goals. Right. right. And I think that's probably what you teach as a trainer versus just here's, you know, here, the old way of doing it is here's what we have at EF. Like you want to buy it or not, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. you can't do that anymore. You have to help your customer, right? It's all about the customer. They are, our customers change the world in such a profound and powerful way. They do such a beautiful thing for this earth that, you know, we're all so proud to work in this industry that we work in, you know, so I mean, it makes it easy here, but it's all about the customer and what they need. People here don't know profitability of what they sell. They have no idea what, what products are more profitable. So they, and that's one of the most genius things about, you know, this company is just, we are so customer focused and we are all about the needs of the customer and, and also the, the why, why do they want to do what, what they're doing? Why do they want a product or a service? So yeah, I mean, it starts with, I don't know if you're obsessed with social styles the way I am, but you know, the analyzer, driver, amiable and expressor. I, I, I never start a conversation in sales without that being sort of the first thing, you know, and especially in a training, it's, it's, it's number one, you know, after you talk about attitude, but as soon as you get down to like nuts and bolts and technique or just the ph philosophy and psychology of people, social styles is number one. And, and, and that's, I'm just obsessed with it. I could talk about it all, all day long. And, and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is, 
you can, you, you know, you can have an amazing pitch. You know, I could ask you about your conference and you could, I could say, you know, David, tell me about your conference. I'll, you know, give you, give you two minutes and you could have the best pitch telling me all these stories, how it's going to change my life using words like imagine and feel and think about, but I'm an analyzer and you are pushing all the wrong buttons. And you know, that's not what I wanted. I, I wanted the facts and figures. I wanted you to tell me when it is, how many people will be there, how much it costs and give me the uh, bullet, you know, give me the bullet yes. points of what I'm going to take away. And, and so you have this amazing pitch built towards an expressive person that, 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 you know, really wants information handed to them in a story and an anecdote and, and likes to focus on feelings and relationships and, and big picture. But, you know, I'm an analyzer. I, I'm, I measure success off of accuracy and data and I need time to think about things, you know, so people are sometimes screwing up their communication before they even get to talk about their product. You know, they're not asking the questions in the right style and, Certainly when they get to their presentation, they're delivering it just in their own social style and they're not gearing it towards their customer. That is so interesting. So, and, and I've heard over the years about like the disc and Myers-Briggs and stuff like that, but tell me about what you're talking about more because that, that, if people aren't familiar with that and how they could learn more about that social style. Yeah, it's all based off of the same psychology, you know, Carl, Carl Jung and the in the early days where he sort of paved the way for all those personality tests, like you said, Myers-Briggs and DISC and StrengthsFinder. But social styles is very simple. You have four social styles and what, what they are, are analyzer, driver, expressor, and amiable. Okay. Now, what, if you're an expressor, Social style is all about how you deliver information, but more importantly, how you receive it and how you like it to be given to you, right? So if you're talking to me and I'm an expressor and I want to buy something, especially, I don't want the data and the specs. You know, I want, to, I want you to tell me a story about a friend that you had that used the same product, that loved it. And that's enough for me because that's how I buy, Right. It's literally polar opposite of an analyzer who wants the, the spec sheet. They want to know how much storage on that hard drive. You know, what's the cost? You know, is it compatible with the Mac and the PC? And I just want to say, dude, do you know anybody who has an external hard drive that throws all their videos and music on it? And I want you to be like, yeah, dude, my buddy uses this one. He loves it. And I would literally swipe on Amazon before you're even done talking, right? That's the difference, right? And I'm exaggerating a little, but you can see the difference. And so analyzers and expressors are completely opposite and drivers and amiables are, are completely opposite. So if you're talking to somebody in this, the wrong social style, you're, you're, you're not going to connect with them. And even worse, you can push them away so quickly. And, and so it's, it's fascinating stuff. And and yes, I'm completely obsessed with it. <laughs> and you actually run a training course around that. I mean, is all that the, okay. all the time? Yep, all the time. And uh, and and so it's it's like building blocks. You know, there's attitude, there's work ethic, there's being coachable. And then as soon as you get into start at, like looking at before you get to a sales process and investigating and presenting and all that stuff, you talk about social styles and and, and make sure people understand that people are different and. 
and that it's crucial to adapt to these social styles and, of course, recognize them because most people don't know how to even recognize them because they don't know they exist. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I, I We have a lot of homework, I think, from the show. I We're right up against the hour. This has been amazing, man. The tons of great information. And, you know, one of the things we talked about a lot is mentorship. And it's like, you know, hey, I, I didn't have a lot of great mentors in my business career when I was younger. But nowadays, you know, you can find mentors, you can listen to shows like this, right? You, I consider mentors to me like Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki and all those guys. It's right there online to, to listen to and get advice from almost. And, you know, I think that folks listening to this will get a lot of value and they should definitely go over to Amazon, check out the book. And and you have other items on there, right? Yeah, they can just go to uh, uh, either Amazon and search the Pocket Guide for Sales Survival, or okay. they they can go to our URL, which is thebestsalesbook.com. Nice. Uh, it's very it's very humble. It's, it's very, very easy very, to find. <laughs> yeah. Thebestsalesbook.com, and that will allow you to either, you know, you can purchase the book there, which it actually kicks you over to Amazon, but you can also opt for um, training and, and speaking if, if you need, if companies need keynotes and, and training or consulting, it's all there. It's a one-stop shop. So everything is there. So yeah, the best salesbook.com is the website. And then the name of the book is the pocket guide for sales survival. And it's on Amazon and uh, our URL. Nice. Well, that's great, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think we got a lot of great info. Really appreciate it. And good luck with everything. Thanks, David. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care.